0: Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa-Falston area between Baltimore and Bel-Air. And our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching.
1: I'd like to draw your attention to the 130th Psalm. You'll notice at the top of the psalm, as you turn there, it has the subtitle of a song of ascents. Reason being, this was one of 15 psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, that the ancient Israelites post-exile, even in Jesus's day, they would sing these 15 psalms as they made their pilgrimage to the temple In Jerusalem, for one of the many festivals such as Passover. Uh, It's called a Song of Ascent because Jerusalem was built upon a mountain. And these pilgrims would sing these psalms as they ascended Mount Moriah to gather at the temple. Now, you may be wondering, why are we in Psalm 130 this morning? And the reason is, I've been in the psalms in my personal devotions... And I got to Psalm 130 uh, two or three weeks ago. And have you ever read a passage of scripture that you've read so many times and then for the first time it kicks you really hard? Uh, And I read this psalm and I was so captured by it. The Lord had grabbed so a hold of me and now for weeks now I've been living in Psalm 130. Uh, And in my studies, fascinatingly, I realized I was not alone. Unbeknownst to me, this is Augustine's favorite psalm. If you don't know who Augustine is, he might be the greatest theologian since the Apostle Paul. Uh, Certainly of the church fathers. This was Calvin's favorite psalm. The best theologian, arguably, in the Reformers. This is John Owen's favorite psalm. Probably the the best theologian in the Puritans. Uh, One day he read this psalm. He was so gripped by it, he decided to write a book on Psalm 130. And I checked it out on Amazon, and his work on these eight verses was a 429-page book. My kind of preacher, if you've noticed. Uh, John Wesley's conversion happened during the singing of this psalm. Martin Luther was once asked, which were the best psalms? And he replied, the Pauline psalms were the best psalms. And when they asked, what in the world does that mean, Luther, since Paul didn't write any of the Psalms, he said, Psalm 132, 51, 130, and 143. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he wrote his own autobiography, and he titled it Out of the Depths, which is likely from this Psalm. Spurgeon said that this Psalm is the apple tree in the woods of the Psalter, and it is filled with golden apples. (laughs) So like these men, I read this psalm and God so grabbed a hold of me that I do not think I will ever be the same. Uh, And so I'm tremendously honored and excited to to deliver this to you today. Uh, And so we will be on a two or possibly three week journey. Uh, and that's me speeding up as fast as humanly possible, and, and my prayer is that God would grip you the way that He has gripped countless others through these words. Um, let, let's pray again quickly. God, we love you. We thank you for your Word and the richness that is contained within it. God, I, I think about you, Jesus, when you when you taught in Capernaum and and around Galilee and. The people had no eyes to see and no ears to hear. I know oh, how it grieved you. May that not be true of this church. May us have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Yahweh, God. The depths, isn't it fascinating? The song of ascent begins in the depths. (laughs) In this psalm, in the psalms, whenever you see depths, it typically means deep waters. It's someone describing their state of drowning. David saying, "I'm drowning." You ever been in the depths before? (laughs) I have. Sounds like you have too. The depths is a place of deep darkness. Of despair, of drowning. And don't we all find ourselves there from time to time? Because we live in a world full of darkness. And if we're honest, within our own hearts and minds, we can produce enough darkness for ourselves. It's real easy to be finger pointers, isn't it? I'm miserable because this person and this, we're our own worst enemies. <laughs> David faced many, many adversaries, but David's greatest enemy was himself. And I think that's true for all of us. And as the psalm unfolds, we're going to see that David is in the depths, not because there's a new giant to slay, not because of some new Absalom or some plague or some disease, but because David understands that he is a sinner. He has sinned. The psalm is talking about what sin does to us and how it breaks us down and it steals our peace, and how that every believer, when sin is present, because they know that sin is vile to the one who saved our soul, to Yahweh, it grieves us. And because David is a sinner, through his own rebellion, he has placed himself in the depths. And it needs to be said, David is not physically drowning here, but is spiritually and mentally. And if we're honest, isn't this what sin does to us and our families? Of course. And so David prays verse two. "O Adonai, Lord, hear my voice. David felt God was so far away. <laughs> you ever been there? to where we fall on our knees and we cry out, God, mercy, please hear me. Oh, Adonai, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. David, in his drowning state, when you're drowning, how many breaths do you have? (laughs) One. He has one breath. And he uses it to cry out for mercy. This is not, this is, there's no parachute here. <laughs> there's no scuba team waiting to rescue him if this breath doesn't work. This is the one option that he has, the one ploy that he has. His last bit of air is to cry for one thing, mercy. Now there's more to it than this, but grace is receiving something you don't deserve. And mercy is not receiving something you do deserve. (laughs) If you have ever walked with God with any significant amount of time, then you know that even as a believer, you're good at sinning. (laughs) Patience comes hard. Forgiveness comes hard. No anxiety, no depression, peace of mind comes hard. But sinning? Nope. We're all born experts. Every single one of us. As the bird flies and the fish swims, so man is good at sinning. And what is sin? You ever thought about that? Why is sin bad? Why is sin sin? Because at its absolute root, you know what sin is? It's rebellion against God. It's contrary to what God wants for your life. It's contrary to what God says his intentions are for you. It's contrary to God's law. And God does have a law. And it's not subject to interpretation. (laughs) Well, that's your truth. No, it's not. It's God's truth. I was listening to Doug Wilson this week, and he said something that I believe is very true. If once God saved you, God said, oh, great. (laughs) And he put a bowl next to his throne in heaven. And every time you sinned, he picked up a black stone and dropped it in. After a few weeks, months, and years, you know what the angels would think? We're gonna need a bigger bowl. <laughs> Calvin said, man's heart is a perpetual factory of idols. By nature, we constantly worship ourselves. We make gods out of money, our career, our sports, social media, our feelings. And we're all very good at sin. And David, like all of us, he was a sinner. And his sins had placed him in the depths. And isn't it interesting to the believer? Sin is absolutely horrible. But to the unregenerate, it's no big deal. And this is what the unregenerate and the self deceived have in common an absence of the work of the Holy Spirit. I have met enough people in my life who claim to be Christians, and they look and they speak. And they act and they behave just like the unsaved world. And when they sin, they feel nothing. Because out of the 31,102 verses in the Bible, they hide behind one. God is love. (laughs) And so out of a distorted view of God's law, his nature, his character, they feel nothing. They feel no need for repentance, no need for tears, no need for prayer, no need for God's mercy. But this is not at the heart of God's elect. This is not what God's people feel. Like David, God's people are, are not, we're not perfect. And God is love. But when God's people sin, they cry. And they are cut to the heart. And they grieve along with their master, and so they cry for mercy and forgiveness. One of my favorite preachers, if you ever want to get on YouTube and feel convicted for an hour, you should Google, uh, you should YouTube Paul Washer. Uh, And he he has an analogy that he used for the difference between the converted and the unconverted. He said the unconverted man is running late for work, and he's almost out the door, and his wife says, oh, 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 honey, real quick, can you take out the trash? And he snaps, what's wrong with you? And he runs and he grabs the trash, he throws it in the can, and he gets in his car and he's driving to work. He's like, what's wrong with this person? But the converted man He'll be late to work, he'll be on his way out the door, the wife will say, ooh, ooh, honey, take the trash, and he'll go, what's wrong with you? And he'll grab the trash, and you're crazy, and he'll throw the trash away, and he'll get in his car, and he drives, starts driving to work, and he's grieved. Why did I do that? And he'll call home, or he'll come home, or he'll, when he's done work, he'll come home, and he will apologize. Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible are God's people expected to be perfect. But the difference is is what the Spirit of God does with our imperfections. That is when we know the presence of God is present. And David, David was an adulterer. (laughs) David was a murderer. He was a liar. He was a horrible father. (laughs) He should should never write a parenting book, 101 by David. He was a terrible dad. But David was not rejected by God. Because when the spirit was at work in his life, he repented and he cried out. David knew what he was. He knew he was a sinner that desperately needed God's mercy. And so he was God's child. And so in the depths and the darkness of his sin, David cries out for one thing, mercy. God, I deserve your wrath. I deserve to be cut off from your spirit. What does he say? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He knew he deserved it. He knew he'd like all of us. We deserve hell. But please, mercy. And David goes on to say in verse 3, If you, O Yah, God, should mark my iniquities, O Adonai, who could stand? Loved ones, if God was strict with you on Judgment Day, how would you stand? (laughs) You wouldn't. And this is what the Pharisees and the self deceived do not understand. You wouldn't be able to stand. David, in verse 3, like he does so often in the Psalms, he moves from private, he's been talking about himself now, and now he's moving to the corporate. He moves from himself to the many, and David is exactly right. If God should mark our iniquities, if he should pr- bring all of our perversities and sins before us, and we had to excuse ourselves and, to, and, and give, our, gave, give a legal cause on why we're not sinners, who could stand and be justified on that day? And the answer is no one. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all are dead in trespasses and sins. David is exactly right. None of us can stand before God on that day or any day. You've never had a perfect day. (laughs) You haven't spent one day in your entire life that was right and perfect before God. Where you could stand on your own righteousness, on your own merits, your own good works. But there's hope. What is is one of the most glorious pictures in the Bible? And it's found in the book of Revelation. It's an immense comfort to the church. And that is God shows us that heaven is filled. According to God, there are so many people in heaven, they cannot be counted. (laughs) What does that tell us? If man is so fallen, if man is so sinful, even after God has pulled us out of depth after depth, after depth, then if heaven is filled, he must be willing to do it again and again and again. And the reason David cries out for mercy is because he must know something about God, huh? (laughs) And the reason we all should cry out for mercy is because God, in the Psalms, in his word, Wants us to know something about himself. And what is it? What does God want us to know about himself? Well, we're not going to guess. Verse 4 will tell us. But. Well, that's a sermon right there, isn't it? Don't we love the buts in the Bible? (laughs) In the Psalms, in this Psalm, when all seems lost... David is drowning. He's in the depths. David needs mercy. He's he's expelled his last breath. And then David tells us that all men, does that include me and you? Yup. We're all doomed in and of ourselves because we're all sinners before a holy and just and perfect God. And then David pens, but with you, Yahweh. Adonai, Lord, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. David looks at his life in shambles, (laughs) in the depths, in the drowning, and all of his hopes ascend in that in God there is forgiveness. Richard Sibbs once said, There is more mercy in God than there is sin in you. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. There is more mercy in God than there is sin in you. Do you hear what the word of God is telling you today? that in God, there is forgiveness. Isn't this almost exactly what happened to Peter on the Sea of Galilee, on that storm? Sure, come out to me, Pete. (laughs) And he saw the wind and the waves, and he got scared. And he started to drown, and with one voice, he said, Oh, Lord, save me. Whoop! (laughs) And he put him on the boat. And he goes, "Why were you afraid?" <laughs> All we must do is cry out, and he will rescue his people. Amen. First John one nine says, "If we confess our sins." Now there's some clarification to be had there because confession does not mean we build two little phone booths in here and I go talk to me, my child. <laughs> Now listen, there there is lots in the Bible about confessing your sins to others. It says in the Bible that that to confess your sins to the pastor and the elders of the church can bring healing. There there is truth to that. But when you see confession in the Bible, typically, almost always, that means confession to God. It's acknowledging your sin before God who already knows it. (laughs) And if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. What unrighteousness? What unrighteousness? 90% of it? All. There is no sin so vile that is beyond the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever gifted to the church. I named my second son, his middle name's after him. He struggled terribly with depression, yeah. crippling depression. One of our greatest preachers could barely pull himself up off his floor sometimes. He said of this verse, of this verse and it's very uh, old, old Englishy, but it's awesome. <sighs> Let these words enter into your soul and drive those grim ogres and hobgoblins of despair into the sea of forgetfulness. (laughs) If God's word promises us that God casts our iniquities, our sins, as far as the east is, from the west, then why in the world would we hang on to them? There is forgiveness in God. So I want to close with one thought. I told you God's working on me. (laughs) One thought. There is mercy in God. And that means you are not too far gone. Loved ones, God's mercy is not reserved for only perfect people. Because there are no perfect people. And God's mercy is not reserved for almost perfect people. Because there are no almost perfect people. God's mercy is not reserved for the pretty good. Because there are no pretty good people. Do I need to keep going? (laughs) (laughs) What happens when you've crossed the line? Do you ever feel like you've crossed the line before? I've gone too far this time. (laughs) You feel like you're too far gone. You're too, too out of reach to be forgiven. Well, I ask you, is God a liar? Who is God that he should lie like man? Numbers 23, 19. And this is why we need to study God's word. Because between Satan and his people and our own fallen minds, we can feel lost and beyond hope. But this is contrary to scripture. Loved ones, without God's word, are we not so lost? (laughs) How do we know God forgives us when when our own selves are telling us we're doomed all day? But we do have the word of God. And he does tell us that he forgives all iniquities. And that there is forgiveness in God. And so family. Jesus came to die for sinners. Are you a sinner? (laughs) Then he came to die for you. Run to him. Joseph Hart said, Let not conscience make you linger, or a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. The only thing we need to bring to God is an acknowledgement of our need for him. (laughs) That's all you need to bring to the table. Help. God, hear me. God, save me. God, deliver me. Please, mercy. Isn't this the story of Jesus' table? It was filled with the worst of humanity. Tax collectors and prostitutes. and The worst of the worst. And yet, there was forgiveness for them. They were at peace with God, and why? What was the one thing they brought to the table? They knew they needed him. What did Jesus say when the Pharisees were like, I don't think he should be sitting with those kinds of people, you know. Don't they know, you know. He goes, I came for those who know they are sick. Not for those who think they're not sick. (laughs) All God's people must do to receive God's mercy is to cry out and depend upon him as the only way out of the depths. Isn't this how the story of the Exodus begins? 400 years they're there and then they're living under a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph. And he was harsh and he was cruel and he was mean. And when does God say, Moses, you're my guy. He says, their cries have come up to me. I have heard their cries. And in the Psalms, did you notice David didn't look within himself to get out of the depths? God, I'm swimming, save me. He doesn't say that. David put himself into the depths and knew if he was going to keep playing God, he would only sink himself deeper. He knew he needed a Savior. And if you read the Bible honestly, you come to the obvious conclusion that those who reach within their own resources. Who try to be their own God, though, I'm the captain of my own ship. No, you're not. (laughs) Those people end up with greater and greater calamities until they find themselves burning in hell. That the wisdom of David here, and, and we all must get here if we are to be delivered Is that there is nothing within ourselves to truly pull ourselves out of the depths. We all have what is life but a vapor. We have one breath. And we must use it to call out to God to save us. I want to read you a story. Luke 18 verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves (laughs) and they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Isn't that funny? How are you righteous and treat others with contempt? You know what that tells us? They thought themselves to be righteous. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. We have the good guy and the bad guy. The Pharisee, standing by himself, thus prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But there there it is. One of my favorite words of the Bible. But the tax collector, standing afar off, he didn't even think he should come near the temple. I'm too sinful. Standing afar off would not even lift his eyes in up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For the one, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Bible tells us in so many ways, through so many stories, who will be the recipients of God's mercy. Have you ever worried you're going to get up into heaven and be put into shame and cast into hell? The Bible tells us most clearly who receives mercy that day. And it are those who desperately know they need it. Forgiveness is for those who know they are guilty, who go to God to receive it. And this is not just something that happens upon conversion, right? Because there's this bad thinking, well, I knew I was a sinner at a conference 10 years ago, so I'm saved. (laughs) No, this is a daily thing. This is not something that just happens at conversion. This is something that needs to happen throughout our lives. And Jesus, remember when Jesus instructs us to pray, Lord, teach us how to pray. And it's a daily prayer, might I add. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, right? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses. Jesus puts our daily prayer for food next to a daily prayer for mercy. (laughs) Those in the kingdom of God need mercy like we need food. (laughs) We we, We need mercy daily. And praise God, because what does the Bible tell us? Mercies are new each day. In the Sermon on the Mount, who are the first people listed to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's the poor in spirit. It's those who know they are sinners and need help. In my spirit, I am too poor to enter into a relationship with God. And Jesus says, Those are first in the kingdom. Like the tax collector, the poor in spirit were those who were aware of their own spiritual bankruptcy. They knew that they did not have the resources within themselves to stand before a holy God and be allowed into heaven upon their own merits. If your plan when you die is to stand before God and show Him how you helped puppies and fed the homeless, you're doomed. You're doomed. And He may press play on this sermon and say, I warned you. So please hear me as we close. God, God is so good. And he is so merciful and so quick to forgive. Isn't this exactly why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Yeah. Remember, God's like, I need you to go to Nineveh. He's like, oh, here we go. He hops in a boat and he heads to Tarshish. You know where Tarshish is? It's the furthest place on a map he could think of. It might as well have been Antarctica. I'm going to go live with the penguins, God. <laughs> And God sends the storm and they're like, what's going on? And he's, you're going to have to throw me in the water. And they throw him in the water and a fish swallows him. How cool is that? And then it throws him up on a beach and he walks in the Nineveh, who were the sworn enemy of Israel. And he gives, I think it's five word sermon. It's the shortest, worst sermon in human history. He gave the worst sermon in human history. And 40,000 people hear it and go, oh, I'm a sinner. And they cry and the king's on the floor throwing dashes on his head. And God, and Jonah's mad and he builds a tent like maybe God will still blow him up. And God goes, what's wrong with you, Jonah? And Jonah goes, I knew you were like this. So quick to forgive. Uh, It makes me sick. This is God throughout the entire Bible. He's so quick to restore us. To strengthen us. And not only in eternity, but now. As a bird flies and a a fish swims and a man likes to sin, so God forgives sinners. And he pulls people out of the depths. It's what he does. It's who he is. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. When mankind brought themselves into the depths by following the serpent, God immediately, out of an abundance of His love and mercy and grace, He enacted a plan to pull us out. The food was still digesting, and He was planning to pull us out of the depths. The story of man, the best of us, the first of us, the story of mankind screams from beginning to end as we end in the new Jerusalem that there is forgiveness in God for all of our sins. And this is precisely what the cross tells us, doesn't it? That God is so eager To dwell with you forever. That he sent his own son. To be brutally murdered. To the sound of applause. That we may live. If this psalm does not tell you. It does not matter how I feel. It matters what he says. And if you can hold on to this truth. I cannot think of a much clearer picture that he deserves to be praised than this psalm. Well, I have so much more to say to you, (laughs) but I will save it for another time. Let's pray. God, we we love you. We, We praise you. We thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your word. No matter how close we are to drowning, you are our rescuer. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you that it is new each day. If you had one moment in which you said, not today, we all would instantly engulf in flame. Yet every day as you rise the sun, your mercies are present for your people. And so we praise you. Do not let us feel too righteous to cry out. We do pray for a sensitivity of your Holy Spirit. Teach us when to cry out. And God, for those of us that are so quick to know that we're sinners, but so slow to know that you died for sinners, we ask that you would do a special, purifying, Holy Spirit-wrought work today. Let us stand on the promises of God. When the angel of death passed over the land of Goshen on the night of the Passover, it did not matter who was afraid and who was bold. It was only who was under the blood that was saved. And God, we place ourselves under that blood. Save us, Jesus. Mercy. We pray for anyone who needs special prayer today that they would receive it by the double doors. And God, we ask that you would do such a purifying work with your people. Move mightily in us now. And in Jesus' name, all the saints who agreed said, amen. Let's stand in worship.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click donate now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, We also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word, to live the Word, to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.